welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, my contributor, none other than Trey Crowder, comedian and woke individual. Should be a fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day, Derek Chauvin. You know, the man who murdered George Floyd? Well, it looks like he actually tried to murder a 14-year-old kid and a woman before he successfully killed George Floyd. Now, I'm going to first give you some background. $8.9 million is how much the city has decided to pay, the city of Minneapolis has decided to pay individuals who have been targeted by that killer cop before he killed George Floyd. Let me take you to this video, here it is. My name is John Pope, I'm 19 years old, and right now I'm a bank supervisor teller. Right now I'm going to school to get a criminal justice degree, and also after that I'm going to go back and get my psychologist degree. We'd like to talk about what happened, you know, when you were 14, uh, mm -hmm. September 2017. You know, what happened that day? What do you remember from it? Mm -hmm. From that day, I remember the police officer coming to the room door and asking me to get up, telling me I was under arrest. And I asked him, I asked him why. And, you know, can we talk first and get my side? And I guess he wasn't listening to that point. And a couple of seconds after that, he, one of the other officers grabbed me and then the other one came in. Hit me with a flashlight a couple of times. I don't remember exactly how many. And got choked. One of the officers was supposed to tase me, but they didn't have a taser, so they couldn't. Then passing out and waking up with the knee on my neck. And then I asked him to move it to my lower back, because I feel like that would have helped me breathe more. So I was talking to myself to try to preserve my energy and my breath to Help me calm down. Very much what I remember. It's still difficult for him. He was a 14-year-old kid when Derek Chauvin obviously tried to kill him. I'm going to give you significant background. Let me remind you of the picture, the moment that went viral. But you see that moment right there? where Derek Chauvin was actively killing an unarmed African-American male, you see, this could have been stopped in 2019, 2018, 2017, at least, but it was not. The city of Minneapolis agrees to pay $8.9 million to settle two lawsuits. This happened April 13th. The lawsuits were filed by two Black individuals terrorized by the former MPD officer, Derek Chauvin, who was convicted of killing George Floyd in 2020 during an arrest by kneeling on his neck for more than nine minutes. Chauvin knelt on the necks of both plaintiffs during two arrests in 2017. One of Chauvin's victims 
was just 14 years of age at the time of the assault. The other is now a 40-year-old woman. Both assaults occurred in 2017. Uh, let's put up a picture of the young lady. She actually did a few press conferences. On June 25, 2017, Ms. Zoya Code was assaulted by Chauvin after the police were called to her home for a domestic dispute. Chauvin told Ms. Code that she was under arrest, grabbed her arm as she pulled away. The New York Times reported that he pulled her to the ground face first before kneeling on her back. Two officers carried her outside where she was again, put face down on the ground and handcuffed. What happened? Chauvin knelt on her neck despite no resistance from Ms. Code as she pleaded, don't kill me. He just stayed on my neck, she recalled. Then he did just to shut me up, she said. Chauvin kneeled on her neck for more than four minutes. He stayed on my neck and wouldn't get off, but I survived, she says. Now let me take you to Mr. Pope for the video you just saw, okay? On September 4th, 2017, John Pope was also assaulted by Chauvin during an arrest. He was 14 years of age. Pope's mother called the police after an argument with her son. The lawsuit claimed that she was clearly and obviously drunk. She told Chauvin that her son had grabbed her but had no visible injuries. The young Pope was lying on the floor in the bedroom, talking on the cell phone, when Officer Chauvin entered and demanded he stand up. The team responded that his mother was drunk. Video showed the ex-police officer hitting the young Pope twice in the head with a metal flashlight. He also grabbed him by the throat, choked the teenager until the teenager lost consciousness. And then Officer Chauvin knelt on his neck for 15 minutes as he lay calmly on the floor as other officers stood by and did absolutely nothing. His mother can be heard begging Chauvin, do not kill my son, please. As the 14-year-old Pope sobbed for his mother, in the background and said they were trying to kill him. On day one, Chauvin was exposed as the murderer he is convicted of being today. I said, I guarantee you, he has attempted murder before he was successful at pulling it off. This is your proof. Now, was the department aware of Chauvin's tendency to try and kill black bodies? Yes, they were well aware of the way he did his policing. But see, as long as he was terrorizing black bodies, there was no need to suspend him, fire him, or arrest him. As a matter of fact, he would have gotten away with killing George Floyd if it had not been for the outcry from the community, from the bystanders who decided to actually record. See, there's this de-evaluation of black life across the board. 
And while Chauvin, being the murderous SOB he is, is exactly where he belongs, which is in prison, please understand there was a system that protected him up until he got to that point. If they would have held Chauvin accountable in 2017, you, don't, you do not get a dead George Floyd later. Cause and effect relationship. This is why policy reform is required. You have to stop thinking reform only and start also thinking replacement, replacement of these officers so that the culture can transform. The George Floyd Policing and Accountability Act is required more than ever. But now you have it. George Floyd murdered by Derek Chauvin. Derek Chauvin attempted to do it to at least two individuals previously. All right, Trey Feltz. I'm completely stunned that George Floyd wasn't an isolated incident from this guy. Mm. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, like you said, you knew that you knew as soon as you saw that, that he had done it before. I mean, he was obviously a seasoned vet. The whole knee and the neck thing is like he thinks of as his uh, finishing move or something. It's all pretty, all pretty gross. Um, and like, you, you know, there's a lot of talk about like the current era we live in with like social media and, you know, cameras everywhere and cell phone cameras and technology and all this stuff and how it's all kind of scary or whatever. And I'm not saying it isn't, but like there are some upsides to it. And this is one of them because, uh, you know, as you pointed out, like he, the George Floyd thing, I mean, that he would have gotten away with that too. No one ever would have heard of that probably yep. if not for the fact that it, you know, got caught on tape. And then went viral on the internet and everybody saw it. So it's like they've been, all these Derek Chauvin's been out there doing this type of thing for a very long time. And only just in the past few years are like, is everyone starting to realize it? Some people still, you know, close their eyes to it, but like, you know, it's nothing new. It's just that it's only, you know, becoming widely known about now. Yep. And a lot of the police departments are not responding to that uh, paradigm shift very well. <laughs> yeah. So. And now you got $8.9 million uh, being taken away from that local jurisdiction. Taxpayers have to foot that bill one way or the other. That is called defunding the police. But routinely, conservatives are okay with defunding the police as long as the police are doing it while trying to harm another black or brown individual. All right, it's a damn shame. A child gets shot for ringing a doorbell. Here's the coverage. The Kansas City community protesting on Sunday after 16-year-old Ralph Yarl was shot as he was trying to pick up his siblings last week. Police say Yarl accidentally went to the wrong address where he was shot and seriously wounded by the homeowner. Officers arrived at the scene after a neighbor called 911 and took the homeowner immediately into custody. Our heart goes out to the juvenile victim and more than anything to make sure that this child um, and this child's family knows that there are people working hard, a number of people working hard to make sure there is justice for this person. The homeowner, who has not been identified, was released after 24 hours pending further investigation. The police department says they're waiting to obtain a formal statement from the victim and further forensic evidence. I want everyone to know that I'm listening 
and I understand the concern that, that we are receiving from the community. The information that we have now, it does not say that, that it's racially motivated. That's still an active investigation. But as a chief of police, I do recognize the racial components of this case. I do recognize and understand um, the community's concern. You don't recognize a damn thing. Here's what we recognize. Put it up. You see, there's a child. There's a child who is fighting for his life because a man decided to shoot him. The teen's family, they say he is now in stable condition. Ralph Yarl had been looking forward to graduating from high school. He was visiting West Africa before starting college. Those were the plans. The teen is a section leader in a marching band. Could often be found with a musical instrument in his hand. Ralph earned Missouri All-State Band honorable mention for playing the bass clarinet. He also plays multiple instruments in the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra, talking about a smart, active young man. He is now fighting for his life. Before I go to the attorneys involved, let me say this. The individual who shot him was taken into custody under what's called a 24-hour hold. According to state statute, they are able to hold an individual for 24 hours without affixing a charge. At that time, if there is no confession, if there is no forensics, or if the prosecutor feels as if there is no charge available based on information current, they let him go. Now, they will wax poetic in the press conferences and tell you there's nothing more they can do other than go through the investigative process while more evidence is collected. And primarily, they're looking to get a statement from the child. What if the child was unable to provide a statement? Does that mean that this homeowner gets away with murder if the child died or attempted murder if the child is unable to identify exactly what happened or articulate those facts? Here's what you do have, Mr. Prosecutor. You do have a child that was shot who was unarmed. You have that. You could have charged this homeowner with endangering the welfare of a minor. You could have done that just to keep his ass in jail, but you did. All right, there's more. Put up the attorneys. We got Lee Merritt and Benjamin Crump. They announced Sunday that they are taking the case and promptly criticized authorities in Kansas City, Missouri for releasing the shooter, who they said is a white male. There can be no excuse for the release of this armed and dangerous suspect, according to the attorneys, and we concur 100%. Let's put up the chief and the mayor uh, both singing the same tune. Uh, chief Stacy Graves and Mayor Quentin Lucas. All right, feckless leaders. A GoFundMe has been started. A GoFundMe has been started by Faith Spoonmore, who identified herself as the aunt to help the family raise money for medical expenses, has garnered more than one million in donations by Monday morning. You can be part of that contribution. His medical bills may actually be in excess of that. All right.
Here we go. For everyone, for anyone who will say, Doc, doesn't mean it's racial. Maybe the white male was startled. Let me paint another picture for you. Let's say it was a young white child, a girl, teenager. She knocks on the door of an African-American male. That man shoots her. She's not armed. She had a good faith reason for being there. She made a mistake. But we know she wasn't trying to harm anyone. She wasn't trying to break and enter. She had no weapon. But there's a black man with a gun, and there's a bullet from his gun inside of a young white child. Do you think he gets a courtesy ride to the police department? A 24-hour hold, release with no charge whatsoever? Press conferences being held about how this obviously was not racially motivated? Do you think he gets that same narrative? You know good and damn well he would not, which means based on that answer alone, the elements of racism are already at play. All right, Trey, thoughts on this case? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. What you just said, you know, it'd be different if it was a black homeowner and a white girl. I also think another element of it is that, uh, I mean, the kid just rang the doorbell. Like people, people ring your doorbell all the time and never shot any of the other ones. You know what I mean? Whether yeah. Missionaries, mailman, you know, package people, uh, contractors, exterminators, people trying to sell you something, but you know, teenagers with magazine subscriptions, whatever. I mean, if you live in a neighborhood, unexpected visitors are going to ring your doorbell all the time. And he wasn't willy nilly shooting all of them. There had to be right. something that was different about it. It was probably that it was, you know, a black kid at nighttime or in the evening time or whatever. And that was, you know, enough. But it's like, I, I'm i always stunned that, I, I mean, I don't know how old this guy is, this homeowner, but I'm assuming he's got to be at least, you know, well into adulthood, probably. And it's wild to me that he made it this far without doing something this insane yeah. before, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, if you got that much of a hair trigger, but I feel like there's a lot of people in this country who, like, are so ginned up and freaked out about everything and so in love with their guns and, and all that, that they like sit around waiting for a moment like this. Do you know what I mean? Like for the, where they can stand their ground or whatever in in their mind, like they almost fantasize about it or something. And they're just like on pins and needles all the time, expecting to have to defend their life with their firearm or whatever. And when you couple that with how afraid they are of black people, then, you know, something like this happens. Yeah, or how afraid they claim they are because they know it becomes an affirmative defense if they kill a black person. Okay, here it is. Donald Trump making a new pledge. I told you, race to the bottom. If he gets reelected, he's going to make federal employees take a loyalty test, really to him. Here's the footage. Finally, I will require every federal employee to pass a new civil service test demonstrating an understanding of our constitutional limited government. This will include command of due process rights, equal protection, free speech, religious liberty, federalism, the Fourth Amendment protections against unreasonable search and seizure. I know all about that at Mar-a-Lago, don't I? and all other constitutional limits on federal power. We will put unelected bureaucrats back in their place.
Yep, there you go. You know who else did a loyalty test? Hitler. All right, let's get into a background on this ridiculous statement. Mr. Trump has previously, previously called on putting in new requirements for federal employees. In March of last year, he called on passing laws that will make every employee who works under the executive branch fireable by the president. Okay. We will pass critical reforms, making every executive branch employee fireable by the president of the United States, he said at the time. The deep state must and will be brought to heel. It's already happening, he says. Now, let's put up this picture of um, Trump and Governor Ron DeSatan of Florida. There's a related news dynamic that must be mentioned. So there's a PAC, a political action committee, who backs DeSantis. DeSantis has not announced he's running for president, but he, go, he goes all over the country and he talks to GOP groups. But the PAC aired a particular commercial against Donald Trump. This PAC once again supports DeSantis. And probably this is part of the reason why, well, Trump is doubling down on the BS. Here's the commercial. Donald Trump is being attacked by a Democrat prosecutor in New York. So why is he spending millions attacking the Republican governor of Florida? Trump's stealing pages from the Biden-Pelosi playbook, repeating lies about Social Security. Here's the truth from Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, we're not going to mess with Social Security as Republicans. Well, what did Trump say? Entitlements ever be on your plane? At some point they will be. We will take a look at that. Trump should fight Democrats, not lie about Governor DeSantis. What happened to Donald Trump? They also said Trump was going to grab your guns and a whole lot of other things. Well, let the fight continue. Uh, Trump campaign responded to the ad and a statement to Mediaite. They said, and I quote, DeSantis is colluding with his globalist handlers to go full never Trump in order to gaslight the people into thinking that Medicare and Social Security should be ripped away from hardworking Americans says spokesperson Stephen Schoen. President Trump has made it clear that he will always stand on the side of Americans and protect benefits seniors worked for and paid for their entire lives. Once again, this is a political strategy. Both of them have insane ideas. Even a broke clock is right twice a day. So maybe they hit on something that we actually can somewhat agree to. But at the end of it, they won't implement it in a way that makes a difference. They don't care about these programs. They care about it enough to get elected. And that's it. All right, Trey, thoughts here. Well, on the loyalty test thing, I used to, when I was first getting started in stand-up comedy, my day job was working for the federal government. I worked for the U.S. Department of Energy in uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. I was a federal employee for like six years. And when I first started, I started straight out of college. I thought it was kind of weird. I, I wondered, I was like, what do these people do if they like don't like the president who, you know, they who's in charge at the time? But they're all just like career professionals who have an office job that they work or a mission that they support or whatever, and they don't really care about that too much. Most of them, they just want to do their job. So like, uh, you know, if he comes in and has some sort of loyalty test, there's going to be a whole lot of people that have been doing a job effectively for 30 plus years yep. that might get fired because they don't agree that Ron DeSantis is a duty head or whatever questions are on this, you know, <laughs> quiz that he's going to give them. And I think it'll have uh, pretty disastrous effects ultimately because it's not 
really how any of that works. Also, all the questions he gave examples of were like things having to do with like the overreach capacity of the federal government or whatever. But most federal employees don't do uh, the type of job where any of that would ever be relevant. I mean, obviously, yep. there's a lot of you know, agencies and stuff who that's directly relevant to. But for example, like what I was, I was working in contracts, you know, people work in facilities, maintenance, engineering, I mean, whatever, all kinds of stuff that that's all completely, utterly irrelevant to the job they actually perform for the federal government. So it's just another like half-baked asinine Trump idea, it sounds to me like, that I hope never comes to fruition because he never gets the opportunity to implement it, first of all. But then if that were to happen, you know, I think it would be pretty disastrous ultimately. And as far as him and Santa, Santa, uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, I, part of me is kind of like sickly looking forward to uh, watching them hopefully tear each other apart. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I'm taking sort of a sick pleasure in uh, watching them have a slap fight over the coming months. But only if... Uh, whoever, you know, wins between the two of them ultimately loses after that, obviously, because right. otherwise it's a full board nightmare Yep, for four years again. Uh, the way it's looking, Trump is the person uh, yeah. that should go against Biden because he definitely can beat Trump, but everyone else Biden has a big problem with, according to polling data. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Always good to be with you. We have a lot of show left. Let me remind everyone the Webby Awards, big deal, all right? Very excited. TYT has been nominated for another Webby Award, this time the viral video category. Anna's passionate rant and proclamation of her stance as it relates to abortion rights in America. I want you to head to tyt.com forward slash vote. You can cast your vote right now. Vote closes on the 20th, all right? We only have a few days. Okay. Rich Thurman, police department deconstruction and reconstruction from ground up is mandatory all over the US. Agreed. All right, let's go to Jenny B. There's a gun problem in this country. There's a policing problem in this country. End of story. That is correct. All right. Greyhound Dragon, if they felt so threatened, why did they answer the door? Question mark. Um, also, let's go to, I think this is Jeff Test Pilot, Doctor. I think that as long as cities cover these lawsuits, nothing will change. What do you think about making the police pension funds pay for civilian damages resulting from their crimes? Yes, in addition to making all police officers, they must have malpractice insurance like a medical doctor or psychiatrist, all right? Thank you, I think this is Reese or Rice. Thank you so much. For us, no action. For them, equals benefit of the doubt. Um, and Meredith Putvin, um, Ralina Dragon, thank you for this. Um, who wants to bet the authorities will rule it's self-defense and stand your ground? Also, C. Michael Henson, thank you, C. Michael. Donald J. Hitler, um, I mean Trump. Yeah, all right. Got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're your friend. Back off! I'm going to tell the African American man to threaten my life. I'm sorry. 
Don't, yeah, they coming. Don't, yeah, they coming. Oh, they coming? Yeah. Okay. Okay, Miss uh, Ice Cream Truck Driver. Yeah, she's still here. She's right here. Yeah. Over here, do you even have a business license? I'm do you sorry? have a seller's permit? Do you have a seller's permit to be selling I'm not ice cream? I'm talking to you. That's her talking. Do you have a seller's I'm by permit? My vehicle. She's by do me. you have a seller's permit? It don't matter. Oh, wait, it don't matter. Oh, it don't matter because I'm black. They go to the police don't matter. Right there. Oh, they go to the police right there. Thank you. Thank God they know. Yes, me. I see the police officer. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Okay. The police come. I have more video. She already says, good, I know them, according to this particular Karen. Here's an update to what happened when the police came. Police came. They talked to me. They went over and talked to her. The traffic officer came and said, basically, because they didn't see her driving, it was nothing that they can do, even though I showed them the video of her driving. I got upset and I said, had I took matters in my own hand, I would have been the one going to jail because I do have, I am licensed to carry. So had I used my gun when she ran up on me, I would have been in some trouble and the story would have been different. So they basically did nothing. She'd already told me before they came that they weren't going to do anything because she knew them. Now, the Karen decided to give a defense of her actions, and it actually made her look worse. Here it is. What does it take to be a vendor? Yeah, you cannot be a vendor in Jensen Beach, in Jupiter Beach. You can't. So the fact that she was calling the police on me for backing up and getting in her way, that's when I called out, like, do you even have a permit? So there's the full context of that story. You guys, this is crazy. Why would so many people be so mean to me and say that I'm racist? Oh, it don't matter because I'm black. My ex-husband is black. I've married a black Navy SEAL. In any case, the cops came because she called them and they assessed the situation. <laughs> they sided with me. Oh, they got police right there. Thank you. Thank God they know Yes, me. I see the they sided with me. Well, look at that. Mm. Her ex-husband is black, which means obviously there's no way possible for her to be racist. Why would anyone call her racist? Where did race come in at? Ma'am, you inserted race. Uh, let's put it up full mass. If this is a Karen that you know, um, I highly encourage someone to do an intervention and this is out of control. Let's go to the business. She wanted to disrupt this. Look at that. The poster has a business called Fun Foods and More. Who wants to break this up other than a Karen? As a matter of fact, if you would like to support this business owner, okay, you can do so. If you are not local and you would like to support this business owner, this is an opportunity to do so. She purchases ice cream for kids in the community. She will host a free ice cream night and will ride around and give out free ice cream 
All you got to do is give to the Cash App or Zelle. It is provided there. There we go. That's how we turn a negative into a positive. Big ups to you uh, for keeping your cool and exposing the Karenicity. Once again, we provide a mirror for reflection and hopefully correction. Karen, you are out of line. Trey, thoughts on this? Man, who... Who gets that mad at an ice cream truck? I thought an yeah, ice cream man. truck was like one of the most universally recognized, you know, symbols of happiness and joy <laughs> and, you know, nice summer day like that. And you hear the ice cream truck music. Everybody breaks out and smiles. That's like that's the cliche with ice cream truck. She starts screaming and, you know, being racist and crazy. That's a new level of uh, of carendom right there. That's pretty, yeah. pretty wild. And then. um also, I can tell you, like, when you, you know, anytime you see like a relatively small white lady like that in a gigantic truck, you know, she's a piece of work. Like every time, <laughs> that's just something that I've observed, uh, in, you know, in my upbringings. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not overly surprised. And then, yeah, the icing on the cake was her, you know, bringing up her black ex husband or whatever. <laughs> Cause that's like, that's like the, uh, that's like, the ace of the like i have black friends you know suit of cards to play <laughs> when, when, when racist one of you know I, like they're not being racist or can't be racist or whatever so yeah. yeah checking a lot of boxes that karen did yeah i think she checks damn near all of them all yeah. right got something for you double dose you want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're still French! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. I had to beat a Karen ass cause she spit on me and told me I don't belong here. And it's my birthday today. Happy birthday to me. I'm not allowed to eat here. I'm checking out. I'm a slap her. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> get out of here. Damn. She's a gift. I don't care. I can't put her out of here. Walk. Oh, bitch. 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 self-defense um spitting upon another person is considered to be assault all right every jurisdiction in this country and when that happened the aggressive actions of this particular karen um, was met with appropriate force in order to stop the threat when things like this happen i don't find it joyful um, to see this kind of violence, but it is in the context of self-defense, 100%. I guarantee you, if let's say a black male would have walked up to the Karen, spit upon the Karen, and somehow the Karen was able to overpower the black male and say, don't you ever spit on me. Everybody will say that's perfectly appropriate, right? I'm not sure exactly why this went down the way it did. What was the Karen's end goal? Did the Karen believe that another human being was simply going to allow them to do that without any instinctive reaction? 
Has she done it before? Got away with it? I don't know. All right, Trey, what are your thoughts on this one? I mean, pretty much that last thing you just said, like just the sheer level of entitlement to think that you can spit in somebody's face and just keep walking. Like, I just cannot imagine believing that for a second. Like, I don't can't ever see myself spitting in anybody's face to begin with. But like, you got to know that if you do, like it's on from that point yeah. like it's you know what, what do you think is going to happen also she was not a spring chicken that karen she'd been around for a while and it's just wild to me that somebody can you know reach that age and not understand such a simple premise as you know if you spend somebody's face there's probably going to be consequences for that yeah uh pretty pretty wild there you go all right we got more on the other side it's indisputable stick and stay All right, welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Okay, it's here for real. Promise you, it's real this time. Uh, very excited. All right, let's put it up. Pre-order. Jenks upcoming book, Justice is coming. You can do that today. ShopTYT.com. Get an exclusive signed copy. I got mine coming. Justice is coming gives an outline on the progressive vision and how we're going to correct all of the issues that the country is currently facing. Yes, we can do that, we're progressives. Progressives are part of the unstoppable movement and we truly care about expanding liberty. Check it out today, make sure you go to shoptyt.com. All right, very excited about this. Okay, we have a lot of comments. Let me read as many as I can. Kyle CH says, I think I know why he's her ex-husband. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, ma'am, that is not a ranting endorsement. Can I talk to your ex? All right. It says, Cheesecake Brownie, uh, don't you just wish you could yell at these Karens and tell them exactly what they are? Maybe that would be a great show. Uh, This woman is just scum. Yeah. Okay, Mo Fury. Uh, In the words of the Honorable Justin Jones, that lady is the... (laughs) That lady is the find out phase of her Karen situation. There you go. All right, let me do one more. Um, Jack Strax. I'm not a violent person. I've never been in my in a fight in my life, but I would have I would have reacted the same way had this Karen spit on me. It's very reactionary. All right. Okay. Tennessee lawmakers who voted to get rid to expel black lawmakers for voicing their support for community, well, they can't believe that people are calling them racist. It's the most unbelievable thing in the world. Then the one representative who dissented to protect the white woman, well, what do you think he said about, what do you think they said about him? Here it is. Please forgive me if my comments are not going to I think now, more than ever, everyone should recognize that Democrats are not our friends. I listened for the last three days to Democrats, Sam McKenzie, Chisholm, Parkinson, trash us as racists. I've never had anybody call me a racist. And for the last three days, all I have heard from them is how this is the most racist place for one of these white supremacists. Good Lord, we have to realize they are not our friends. They can smile, man, that doesn't mean I can't be polite to them, but they are not our friends. They destroy the republic and the foundation of who we are. And Jody, I'm just going to say it here because you signed the letter. You straight up came to me and said you were 100% where I was. 
and you went on the House floor and you did the opposite. Maybe you hung us out in the garage. I sat there and had my internal debate on what to do. Then the bell rang. I'm concerned that I'm going to vote yes on a resolution that I know is wrong. I think the problem I'm having is if we don't stick together, if you don't believe we're at war for our republic, with all love and respect to you, you need a different job. The left wants Tennessee so bad because if they get us, the southeast falls, and it's game over for the republic. This is not a neighborhood social gathering. We are fighting for the republic of our country right now. I'm going to have to swallow this to see Mr. Jones back up here walking these hollowed halls that the greats of Tennessee stood in and watched them disrespect this, this state that I chose to move to. And by golly, it's got to stop. I'm sorry for getting angry here. My father was D-Day plus four, and he fought for this freaking country, and many of his friends died. You've got to do what's right. Even if you think it might be wrong, you've got to do what's right. And you've got to protect this freaking republic here in Tennessee. You know what? Let's all go to hell home. All right. Well, when a white lawmaker says, by golly, obviously it's serious. So what do you have here? Let's put their pictures up full mass. Okay. So these two individuals on the recording, you have Tennessee Republicans, Jason Zachary and Scott Sipiki. They are the ones who are talking about they cannot be friends with Democrats anymore. They're just not their friends. See, these lawmakers voted to expel two young black lawmakers for breaking an office policy, disenfranchising the 78,000 individuals who voted for each of those lawmakers to represent them. They decided to be heavy handed. They decided to do something they would have never done for a white colleague. And remember, the white female who did the exact same thing survived the vote because of this guy. Put him up. You got lawmaker Jody Barrett who defended himself while being rebuked in the audio for his recanting of the vote. Now, he was the dissent for the white female. And keep in mind, while these lawmakers are saying they have never been called racist, that's a lie. Uh, Maybe they have never been called racist out loud in the press, but I guarantee you people have called them racist before. Uh, The reality is, do you see how they talk? Did you hear that conversation? I disagree with their political ideology. But I want Democrats to be that sincere when they're talking among themselves behind closed doors. You see, those individuals, while wrong, they were authentic. They were sincere. They were passionate, still wrong. Democrats are right, typically progressives are right. But when we get behind closed doors, when there's a left-leaning conversation, and there's no camera, there's no microphone, who's in that room talking like that? Who can we depend on to be in that room talking in a way that truly opposes the status quo, that says this is more than just a vote? Republicans are saying that. They're saying that in front of the camera and behind it. Now, once again, they're wrong. The policies are wrong. Their position is wrong completely we actually have something to hang on to. Majority of Americans actually agree with progressive policies. That's a big deal. All right, Trey, thoughts here? Um, I'm 
from Tennessee. I've been tracking this the whole time uh, in shame, uh, mostly. It's been, you know, pretty upsetting for me. I want to quickly give a shout out, though, to my buddy Justin, who runs the Tennessee Holler, which is the progressive outlet which obtained and released that audio that we just played. You guys had your watermark on there, whatever. Justin goes down to the state house in the Capitol all the time and, uh, you know, asks these guys the tough questions, holds their feet to the fire, takes them to task, all that stuff, and uh, has paid the price for it. He's had his house shot at, in fact, uh, outside of Nashville. So it's like wow. very real and very frightening back in Tennessee. Uh, I also, um, like these guys, like you said, the way they talk about it, they're definitely being authentic. That's like the scary part to me. Is right. You can tell how genuine it is, is because they're, uh, I mean, they talk about it like it's like a holy war or something or, you know, or that a holy war is forthcoming. Like the literal, you know, the fate of the Republic is at hand and they've got to join ranks and do, you know, and fight back. It's, they also, they genuinely believe they're not racist, which is crazy to me, but they do. I mean, it shouldn't be crazy to me. I've known plenty of people like that who are clearly racist, who truly don't think they are and are offended at the notion that they might be. And uh, they also think that they rep. You just said the majority of Americans agree with us. I agree with you. And I know that statistics back that up. These people think that it's like 85% of Americans are on their side or whatever. Like they truly think they represent like, you know, the real America, which is under direct threat from the woke mind virus or whatever. And it's, uh, it's crazy. I mean, these are the zealots. The ones at the state level are like true believers and they're, terrifying i will say lastly a lot of people have been a lot of people that are very plugged in politically and stuff have been telling me that they think that these guys may have overplayed their hand a little bit yep. in this whole scenario and that it might end up coming back to bite them so there's perhaps some optimism for it uh, moving yep. forward because they've, they've motivated a lot of young people in tennessee protesting taking to the streets all this stuff it's like you know it may be a bridge too far ultimately so that's what yep. i'm telling myself and what i'm hoping for right now Yep, I agree with you. When that kind of energy decides to be heavy-handed, as we have seen demonstrated, typically there is a response from the community. Um, we will continue to follow. All right, a security guard, a security guard told a dog to attack a human being. It gets charged and then the charges get, well, decreased. NAACP, not happy. Me, not happy. Let's put up the picture so you can see exactly the precursor to crime. Stephen T. Rudy, the security guard charged with putting a dog on a black male while working at a New Jersey restaurant, but not face any jail time, no jail time whatsoever. After pleading guilty, prosecutors decided to reduce his second degree aggravated assault charge to a lesser weapons charge. So the prosecution identified the dog as the security guard's weapon in this creative plea deal. In the violent 2021 confrontation that left then 26-year-old Khalif Hunter of Burlington City, New Jersey, bleeding from bite wounds in the closed parking lot. Court documents show Stephen T. Rudy, 34, of Virginia pleaded guilty to fourth degree charge of unlawful possession of a weapon, the canine, before Superior Court Judge um, Samuel um, Roganis in, uh, in 
Gloucester County. Under the plea agreement negotiated by the attorneys, Rudy will receive 14 months of probation. No jail time, none. Must participate in psych evals. Rudy will also undergo recommended treatments for anger. So your anger management classes at a veteran's hospital and pay some sort of restitution to comply with the agreement. Um, let's put it up, all right? So in July 29th, 2021, confrontation started reportedly when Hunter expressed he was being singled out for his race when asked to take off his baseball cap because the restaurant had a no hat policy, all right? So that's your precursor. And you see some of the pictures coming up here. A 15 second video clip from around 1 a.m. that night appears to show a young black male thought to be Hunter on the ground in the parking lot and surrounded by club staff and security guards, including Rudy and the canine. At some point after being told his cat was not allowed, with his dog st uh, straining at the leash, Rudy rushes toward Mr. Hunter, backpedals, falls, just as the guard and the dog close in on him. The video stops there. So despite the video not showing every detail, the prosecution was able to establish the man did suffer several puncture wounds due to bites from the canine. An affidavit of probable cause stated the man was bitten on the lower right calf three times and once on the inner right thigh. It was, uh, it also uh, indicted Rudy for his role in instructing the dog to attack, okay? Hunter said Rudy pinned him down to the ground, pressing his knee into his abdomen before he commanded the dog to bite him. Hunter claims Rudy yelled, live bite, live bite. There's more. Lawyers for the restaurant released a statement on the incident after it happened, right? Adelphia regrets any instance where anyone is injured on his premises, said the attorney. He added that a new security firm is in place which does not plan to include canine protection in its security plan. Rudy is scheduled to be sentenced on Tuesday, May 9th, though he's not expected to serve any jail time. Uh, let's start, number one, why do you have a canine at the restaurant? Number one, okay? There's a good, good faith argument that canines really should not be utilized in law enforcement at all, and if so, in very, very restricted circumstances. Beyond that, number two, having a prosecutor who goes to this creative length in order to qualify the canine as a weapon, okay, so that there's a disassociation between the actions of the security guard and the weapon itself. A weapons charge? No. You see, if you tell a gun to shoot somebody, the gun doesn't shoot somebody. But if the man shoots with the gun, then the man is shooting the gun, right? So if the canine is the weapon that could have killed another human being, why is this a weapons charge rather than a violation of actual criminal violence? Why? Because that's what happened to the person on the receiving end of this. Once again, the de-evaluation of black life, because if it was the other way around, I guarantee you, this would not be the prosecutor's conclusion. All right, Trey, thoughts on this case? 
I mean, like you said, what's a security guard doing with a canine unit or whatever at a restaurant? Like you talk about overkill, dude. We got so many like wannabe Rambos and and geared up, you know, uh, gravy seals and whatnot in this country. Like it's pretty, it's wild. Like I, there's no reason for that guy in that position to have none. A trained attack dog. That's crazy. I had a like. Most of, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I think a lot of cop, like full bore cops shouldn't on, you know, on duty arguably right. shouldn't have, uh, you know, canines or attack dogs, but let alone security guards. I mean, I had a, I, I grew up with this guy who was a failed cop who became a security guard and that dude needed like a service dog to help him live his life. Like the last thing he needed was like a trained attack dog at his command, you know, at his job every day. Like that's, uh, I don't know. That's just crazy. Yeah. And the fact once again, not being charged with what he should. NAACP outraged. Obviously, many in the community are as well. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. A lot of show left. Let me say thank you. See, Michael, see, Michael Henson says, I actually think Democrats don't say what they think out loud often enough. Yeah. Pitchfork Dragons, thank you for that. Uh, why did Officer No Badge even have a canine unit? Boom. The hell is that about? Right? The restaurant owner is saying, ah, we got a new security firm. They don't have a canine. Yes, congratulate us. It's the same. Okay. Cops, racist text messages exposed. Even the mayor was not off limits. Uh, let's put up the jurisdiction here, going to be quite interesting. So dozens of police officers, this is in Antioch, it's in the San Francisco Bay area of Antioch, are under fire after their personal group chat revealed a host of racist, homophobic, violent text messages against black community members, including Antioch Mayor Lamar Thorpe. The messages have now been made public all right so let's put it up the text messages came to light on april 11th after an investigative report written by contra costa district attorney senior inspector larry wallace there it is the investigation identified how many cops 17 17 police officers participated in the chat making up approximately a quarter of the entire antioch police department but the East Bay Times reports that 44 Antioch officers have gotten at least one message included in the investigation of the group. On Wednesday, April 12th, 17 of those officers have been placed on leave. Some have now resigned and others are working on the force, but not in the roles that are public facing. So let's talk about the Antioch police chief, Dr. Stephen A. Ford. All right. For the past year. Antioch PD has been under federal and state criminal investigation for a wide range of offenses. It was during that investigation that the texts were actually discovered. The text exerted from in the reports from a second 14-page report emerged Friday, April 14th, revealed a pattern of officers using racial slurs to refer to African Americans and expressing both a desire to use violence against them and satisfaction in doing so. I'll bury that N-word in my fields. One cop says, Sergeant 
Joshua Evans, texted Officer Amira, Amiri. That was December 2020. And then you have another one. In 2020, there was a text message to Officer Eric Arambo. No, they didn't push it that far. Bunch of surrounding us and taunting a fight since we were hooking. And then there's another epithet. The report revealed the officers made jokes about falsifying police reports, um, which is violation of oath of office, a felony. It also included messages of them making fun of pictures of black men in the hospital, suffering injuries inflicted by other members of the department. They also admitted to discriminating while on duty. Officers Calvin Preto and Andre Rodriguez messaged each other about targeting black people with traffic tickets. Make these N-words eat-ish read one of their messages. The messages, which weren't always limited to Antioch officers, sometimes show cops openly admitting to violating the constitutional rights of citizens. Since we don't have video, I sometimes just say people gave me a full confession when they didn't. Gets filed easier. That's what Amiri texted an officer in Brentwood, another Contra Costa County city. That was April 2020. The Antioch City Council voted the following year to equip officers with body cameras. Other messages showed officers carrying out their express wishes for violence. In March 2021, Antioch officers were planning a raid to arrest a 22-year-old, Terion Pugh and Trent Allen. One report document shows Officer Rumba texting Detective Robert Gerber, bro, I can't wait to 40 all of them, referring to using the non-lethal sponge rounds officers used during a raid. Days later after the raid, that cop messaged another cop, bro, my foot hurts, asked if he'd kicked one of the men. Rambo replied, yep, like a effing field goal, before adding, gotta stop kicking in words in their head. The texting scandal Dates all the way back to 2019. Put him up. Mayor Lamar Thorpe, infuriated by the text, called for a town hall meeting that got heated quickly. See, the mayor, an African-American man, said he was disgusted by what he learned about the text messages. The report showed that during a chat about Black Lives Matter, the demonstration in June 2020, Officer John Ramirez sent a text saying, He'd buy a prime rib dinner at a steakhouse to an officer who used a 40 millimeter sponge bullet against the mayor of the city he works for. I'm blown away that there were threats to my personal life in those text messages. The mayor is calling all the officers featured in the investigation to be fired. Isn't that something? Even with all of this evidence and information, the mayor himself, still has to do what we have to do. We just are calling for their firing. Hell, I can do that. I could call for the firing. Mayor, you have no more authority than that? Call for the firing. Mayor, here's what you need to do. Go ahead and put out a warrant for their arrest as your capacity uh, as an individual person rather than the mayor. That's what you can do. You have the threat there. I'm sure you got a friend or two at the department. They're going to sign that for you. A judge will certify it. Got to start thinking out of the box, sir. These folks are not playing with you. 
All right, Trey, thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I've been uh, I've been trying to work on a stand up bit lately, actually, about more about Los Angeles specifically, but about uh, the LAPD being racist or just racism in Los Angeles. You know, I think a lot of times people uh, on the coast, coastal liberals and stuff, I think, look at like uh, the issues of racism as being like a middle American or especially a southern problem. And they are. But like. It's also just an American problem. This is in the Bay Area. This is San Francisco. This is what most people would consider to be like arguably the most progressive area of our country, you know, the San Francisco area. And they've got almost 20 cops on their, you know, local force just dropping M-bombs and being crazy racist to each other, making jokes about like horrific acts of violence that are racially motivated and all this stuff in a place like San Francisco, you know, like and it just shows you how deep the – uh how deep the roots go of racism in this yep. country and how widespread and prevalent uh, the problem really is, you know. Such a damn shame. Dear brother, always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you and check yeah. out your great work. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun to be here. Uh, you guys, you can see it right there. It's Trey Crowder, T-R-A-E Crowder on any of the socials that you've got. Also, you can go to TreyCrowder.com to check out my special and also my comedy tour Hopefully I'm coming to a city near you. And if so, come and see me. TreyCrowder.com. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Until next time, my friend. All right. We got more on the other side. The bullpen is next. Stick and stay. Welcome back. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. All right, in the bullpen today, we have Mr. Benjamin Ayanian, recent graduate, University of Minnesota. All right, um, majored in philosophy, double majored in law and business law and political science, smart guy. Benjamin, good day, welcome. Thanks for having me back, Dr. Ritchie. Thanks for being back to the show. All right, we're going to chop it up about gun culture in the United States of America. We can contextualize it through the US Constitution, the gun rights debate. We had another recent mass shooting in the state of Alabama continues. The saga continues. I don't want to presume what you know, believe about gun safety in America. So if you would give us your perspective, I would then opine. Yeah, absolutely. So my opinion is that in the wake of school shootings or other mass public shootings, the policy proposals that we often see garner the most attention would be ineffective at preventing the tragedies that we are hoping to stop. We often hear calls for assault weapons bans, large capacity magazine bans, and the implementation of red flag laws, all of which uh, do not have conclusive or strong evidence um, that would make us believe that wider adoption of these measures would prevent these tragedies. And so there's actually uh, three changes that I would support personally. Um, okay. And so first, um, in response to school shootings, I think we definitely need to bolster school security. Um, I think having some form of armed security at every school is important. Schools should also consider decreasing points of entry into schools and maybe even adding um, metal detectors at those points of entry. The second thing that I would um, support is greater adoption of constitutional carry laws across the country. Um, the war on drugs was not able to prevent people from finding drugs. Uh, prohibition did not stop people from consuming alcohol. I don't think we're gonna be able to stop people with bad intentions from obtaining arms. And then 
The last thing that um, I would support, this would not be a policy from government, um, but would have to be adopted on a voluntary basis, is I think that media should stop sharing pictures, names, and manifestos of mass shooters. A University of Alabama criminologist named Adam Lankford has pointed out that there's a huge growing body of evidence that fame, aspiration, and media attention are a large contributing factor in what he calls learned behavior um, mm -hmm. with these mass shootings. So those, I think those three policy proposals would be more effective than what we typically hear about. All right, this is very interesting. So let me dive right into it. Uh, you have described four elements that should be changed. Number one, um, a school having an armed officer, two, metal detectors, three, constitutional carry, uh, which by the way, is already permitted in 25 or 26 states in the country, and also media regulation, which you believe based on the proclamation of a professor, uh, that it actually leads to more carnage. Did I have that correct? I wanna add one caveat to that is I don't support media regulation. Okay. Um, I think it would have to be done on a voluntary basis. It is not the government's place gotcha. to tell the media that they can or cannot say these things. Got it, so that would not be a policy. That would be basically a wish. All right. Correct. All right, so let's go to the armed school officer. Um, you do realize that the most recent mass shootings that we've had, all of those schools have had one thing in common. Uh, the majority of them actually did have an armed individual assigned to the institution. It's called a resource officer. The resource officer, however, did not deter that gun, that gunman from going into the building, uh, nor did it actually stop in one of the most infamous cases uh, an individual <clears throat> from continuing to commit carnage while nobody did anything. Uh, as a matter of fact, brother, when you think about this, Benjamin, in the context of effectiveness, right? What you have just named, a school resource officer already in, metal detectors already applicable at many institutions, definitely not the majority, not all, and then constitutional carry. What evidence do you have that those three things lead to a decrease in school shootings? Uh, so my, my position is that we are not gonna be able to meaningfully prevent bad people. I, I bad need you, but Benjamin, I need you to hear my question because of the contextualization of, of your first monologue. You said hmm. that having less access to guns or some of the other policies that have been presented do not actually show that it would have impacted the amount of carnage created by people shooting children in schools, basically. Then you presented three policy points and one wish. What out of those policy dynamics that you have presented, what evidence is there that anything you have said would actually decrease or has decreased mass shootings in America? Absolutely. So I don't necessarily believe that, you know, it needs to be a resource officer. It can be any form of armed security. You can contract it out. And so my view, though, is that when we look at a lot of these mass shootings, mm -hmm. um, when their journals are released to the public and, and they talk about their planning of these mass yeah, shootings. Yeah, but once again, listen, we, you got well, ideas, I'm, Benjamin, I get that. My point is, if you're going to say these other policies have absolutely no impact, on decreasing the number of gun shootings in America, then you present three policies that definitely there's no evidence that it decreases gun 
uh, culture gun shootings in America, why would we buy your policy proclamation and dismiss the other? So a big difference is that I agree with you that there are resource officers at many schools. There Mm -hmm. are not at every school. The uh, the ones that I mentioned that do not work, they have been implemented at different times in different places. They have been studied extensively. And we do not have evidence that they prevent these tragedies. So my point is that for armed security, armed security, what leads what would lead us to believe that this could be effective is that right. when we look at mass shooters and their plans, you know, once they're no, normally no longer with us after they commit these terrible acts, yeah. um, they will consider multiple different places for attack, mm. and oftentimes you see them rule out other places because of security concerns. Okay, all right. So you're you're utilizing. So that, that's the information you're utilizing. So let's go down the list of things that have actually happened. Uh, we have had mass shooters who should have been red flagged uh, because of either domestic situation or a history of mental health. Uh, the majority of gun owners in America, actually four, expanding the background check to include a mental health red flag dynamic. The majority of NRA members are also for that dynamic as well. This is not really a debatable issue, but that would have at least created uh, a barrier to some of the mass shootings that have taken place in America. And the people that were on the other side of that mass shooter, they would have appreciated a policy like that in place prior to them being shot by that gunman. Number two, let's be very clear about what you're saying to me today, because you named constitutional carry as a remedy. That's what you said, constitutional carry, which is the notion that you don't need any prerequisite in order to carry a gun in this country. Why do you believe that? So, well, first off, you still need to go through, if you go into a store, purchase a gun, you're gonna go through a background check. Constitutional carry states that if you can legally obtain that gun, if it's a if it's a pistol, you can conceal carry it in public. Now, there have been some states that have tried to deny um, police officers from actually asking people in public who are carrying. Not tried, dear brother, not tried. Right. They have successfully done so. It is against I, the law in the state I, of Georgia for example, to ask an, a law enforcement officer cannot ask a person, do you have uh, a permit? Are you legally carrying that weapon? You can't do that. It's illegal for a cop to do so. I don't um, necessarily support that. Okay. Um, um, police officers should be able to ask people in public who are carrying a firearm if, you know, to, to, to show ID that they have, you know, legally obtained sure. that firearm. Um, right. I just think that once they've obtained the firearm, um, they should be able to carry it in public Um, a a pistol concealed. Um, And so that's what I believe. So Benjamin, you think that many of these guns are being purchased with the benefit of a background check in the state of Georgia, 41% of the guns that are, are bought are bought without a background check because it is a private gun owner to gun buyer purchase. So 41% is a huge number. And then you Uh, add the dynamic of constitutional carry, which says, well, because um, bearing arms is a right, the Constitution protects this right, so the individual does not need to do anything else to exercise this right. Do you believe, Benjamin, that it is a right to vote? 
So first, I want to respond to what you just said. I'm not assuming that they're all being done legally and above the table. But if you buy a gun privately and you don't go through a background check and you wish to do people harm, whether you bought it legally or not, I don't think the extra requirement to go obtain a permit is going to prevent someone from carrying that gun in public well, that's to go what, cause harm. That's what your thought process is. But you just laid out a case that said if you make things more difficult for a gunman, then that gunman starts to adjust their behavior because you made it more difficult for them to access that target. And then but, on the other side of the debate, you say, well, I don't see how making it more difficult in order to obtain a weapon would somehow create a barrier for that same right. gunman. Yeah, because if I can obtain a firearm and I wish, if, if someone obtains a firearm and wishes to do someone harm, already okay. kill people, break the law, wait, why, wait, wait. Would, why, wait, why would that that permit to carry, why would they go get a permit to carry before well, they, they go? Well, they may not get a permit to carry, but the person won't sell to an individual if that is the law. The sale, the salesman will say no to them. You don't understand that? I, I mean, if we look at other countries with really strict oh, gun laws, on, there, are there are extensive black right. markets for Benjamin, drugs. You understand what the hell I just said. You know good damn well I make sense. What I just said makes sense, sir. I disagree with you. Okay. All right. I appreciate you, man. Have a good day. You too. All right. All right. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm -hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's well, a racist I, 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 policy, I racist policy. Shelly, here's what I, I don't know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it, though.